0: It's Tuesday, February the 27th, 2024. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We'll begin with our scripture of the week, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, and a piece by me entitled, The Impossible Dream. Then, Pastor Emily Larson and I will talk scripture, and more specifically, God's gift of grace and how it can transform the entirety of our lives. But first, a reading from Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall be your descendants. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No trust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, and was raised for our justification. Time comes for us all, I guess. My main group of parasocial internet friends are a cohort of video game journalists. Many of them are the exact same age that I am, or a little bit older. And i followed them on their podcasts and Twitter feeds for more than 10 years. As I've moved from my mid-20s to, as I am often reminded, pushing 40, so have they. I've listened to these folks talk into microphones for hours a week for at least a decade. In more recent years, I've heard something disquieting radiating from them. Encroaching middle age. Some of it has a positive bent. We all know how to do life and work better. We understand how the world works and how to take care of ourselves. I now own a pair of slippers, have realized the importance of moisturizing, and carry glasses cleaner. Some of it I recognize as inevitable. Our physical form needs more regular maintenance than in previous eras. Uh, For me, a lifetime of accumulated injuries and neglect has developed the tendency to catch up with me, and fighting back against the dad bod only gets harder. However, some of it truly bothers me. I hear a growing sense that life has reached its final homeostasis. Whatever essential shape that life holds now will be what it will be for the long haul. For those with a positive outlook on their lives, it can be welcomed with a joyful, well, I guess life will just be like this. For those less happy with their lot, it can be welcomed with a begrudging, well, I guess life will just be like this. Either way, at some point, the world and our lives lost their sense of infinite possibility. Instead, the time has arrived to scale back one's dreams And settle, little chance for drastic improvement remains. I get that instinct. For a lot of my 30s, I felt trapped in a life that felt increasingly like not mine. I had spent my 20s on an adventure, and had entered my 30s with a real sense of what I wanted to do with this next season of my life. I felt called to urban spaces and urban ministry. I had built up a skill set for multicultural work and a passion for navigating the challenges that city life brings for a lot of folks. On top of that, the more fun side of cities call to me as well. Museums, restaurants, and exploring endless variety form important parts of my self-care, as does living near people that I love. By the age of 34, the realization that that my life contained little of any of that came crashing down upon me. I had spent the bulk of my professional life living and serving in a variety of tiny to small towns, and had only moved further from anything resembling urban life, multiculturalism, or urban challenges. As the inevitable march of time sped up, I began to fear that I had become trapped in a long-term and degrading homeostasis, far from anything that I dreamed life would be. This journey gave me a new appreciation for Paul's perspective on Abraham. In Romans, Paul seeks to write a coherent work of theology that unites the Testaments. That God didn't tell one story in the Old Testament and now has a different story in light of Christ. Instead, the story of God and God's people flows smoothly from one stage of the plan to the next stage of the plan. As part of this, Paul proposes Abraham as an archetype for being justified by faith. Abraham had unwavering faith in God, and that aspect sets him apart. As it says in verses 20-22, through No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Just as we get counted as righteous because of our faith in Christ, so too with Abraham he had a faith in God, and that, not law, reckoned him as righteous. More specifically, Abraham had a faith that something absolutely impossible would occur. God told him that he would be the father of many nations. For anyone, that sounds like quite a lofty promise. But the age of Abraham and Abraham's spouse Sarah made that a biologic impossibility. As Paul puts it in verse 19, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. A pair of childless, near as makes no difference, centenarians do not bring forth great nations. They come to terms with dying childless and find other ways to find fulfillment. They settle because life has permanently closed a door. Yet, when God makes Sarah and Abraham an utterly impossible promise, Abraham gets reckoned as righteous because he believes in the impossible. Somehow in ten decades of life, Abraham had not lost the ability to imagine more, to believe that God can bring drastic improvement, to continue to seek the impossible dream. I aspire to that. I did get my life back, but in the intervening years between realization and actual opportunity, I essentially lost faith that such a change could happen. From my perspective, it took so long and involved so many disappointments that even the relatively simple changes of job and location felt like an impossible dream. I lost the ability to see the possibility of improvement and feared that I'd have to settle for disappointment. I didn't have to, though. My life got drastically better, even as I push 40. Paul's point about Abraham rings true for me. Abraham and Sarah aren't just evidence that God can do anything. They serve as a testimony for us to believe that God can do anything. Faith innately involves a belief in the impossible, not just a recognition of the existence of a divine being. It's a confidence at any age that when God says that God can do impossible things, like change your life, make you whole again, and fix the ills of the world, God can, and God will. So as you just heard in the piece, and, and we'll get to the sermon in a second, and the sermon went in a slightly different direction. But all of, the, you know, all of what I was doing over the past week is, well, if Paul wants us to think about Abraham, we should probably think about Abraham. And part of what I did with the piece is reflect on, like, the concept of encroaching middle age, but also this, like, the, the never-ending existential hope that sits at the core of God's grace. And so mm-hmm. if the sermon kind of went, if we think of, like, Wesley's topology of grace for a second, it, it, the sermon went in a much more, like, justification-y, I mean, literally, Paul and Paul is talking about ju- justification, right? So, mm-hmm. okay, like, that is a pretty reasonable way to read this. The piece, you know, it I took the opportunity knowing the direction the sermon was going to go. With the piece, it decided to kind of head off to the side and get more at that, like, sanctification christian perfection side of it that abraham is justified by his faith but the promise that comes true is about his life drastically improving and sort of balance all that out right that even if even in this text about justification the the thing that justifies abraham is this existential hope in this far off seeming impossible future where for his that where his life drastically changes for the better
1: yes and i i like that abraham came up this week after we had sort of mentioned abraham when we were doing our long list of you know imperfect people in the bible and abraham made the list um of you know just because abraham was justified again um you know here paul is talking about justification uh, but that Abraham continued to improve because Abraham didn't automatically become perfect. Once Abraham got this relationship with God, um, there was the whole incidence with his wife, and there was you know all sorts of different
0: things. Um, well, and, but, and just the existence of Ishmael, right? right. And, and and Paul absolutely, you know, I, I, Paul's choosing his words very carefully, right? That. Smart. <laughs> Smart. Paul's a great writer, and he is—he is, mm-hmm. is not—he is deliberately not trying to do a thorough theology of Abraham, uh, right. but he talks about like that Abraham never lost the hope that he's going to become the father of many nations. They right. did collectively lose hope that Sarah was going to be the mother of many nations, however. Right. So yeah. like, it is, you know, again, uh, God bless Paul. <laughs> he, his point obviously still lands for me. I just did, you know, um, about an hour worth of content between a, an essay and a sermon on, on Romans four and this take and really double down on thinking about Abraham, but they don't like, Even in the maintaining hope, even in the doing of this faith that is what justifies him, that is reckoned to him as righteousness, the story ain't perfect.
1: Right, right. That there's that continuing on to perfection, that they get there eventually, right? Um, But it doesn't start out that way necessarily. And so I like that it shows the journey. I like that it shows that not every person in scripture started out perfect and remained perfect until the end. Um, and that, that Paul picks up on this yeah. in his writing to the Romans.
0: Yeah. that And this is, you know, I think a, a theme in my own, you know, if I, if I think about my own way of approaching scripture, I've really landed in a couple of things. One is let's read things as scripture. Let's read them as scripture. Not as, not, you know, not always
1: historical fact, not always scientific
0: fact, or, or in the case of Revelation, Almanac of the Apocalypse, right? Like, let's not, let's, let's read this as scripture. Let's say this is before us for the edification of our faith. And what do these texts tell us about our faith? The Mm -hmm. other approach that I keep landing on is the Bible has very few superheroes. We should stop acting like it because the world is not full of superheroes. And so. It's okay that our lives don't look like superheroes and that we look around at our world and our world isn't full of superheroes because the exemplars of our faith are remarkably realistic humans. Therefore, the ones that really do come through unscathed, largely people named Joseph— Right. It really is largely people right. named Joseph. You think of the like, it, or Joseph or Jesus, right? Like, mm-hmm. or, J- actually, if you really want to do this, it's people named Joseph or people named Joshua, right? Like, Joshua, it, th- yeah. th- th- this is, these are the two categories of, like, <laughs> these are the two names uh, that work out. I think it's just Mary, right? Mary and Miriam, but th- there's not a ton of them. And that's what makes right. them so special. That's what makes Mary and Joseph as a couple, so power I mean, you we talked about this back at Christmas, right? That's what makes this so powerful is in a book that does not have a ton of superheroes, they are two. Unequivocally, yeah. they are two. That what Matthew and Luke both in delving into Jesus' parentage is showing that, like, no, in their own, sometimes really like quiet, normal, human ways, biblical superheroes. Right, And so Abraham is not a superhero. Abraham really does something amazing, but like most people we read about, gloriously complicated, and thus, you know, again, we see him go on a literal physical journey. We certainly see things he gets right, and we certainly see things he gets wrong. And Paul is getting to point out then, okay, even if we judge Abraham by the law, <laughs> even if you just right. judge abraham by the law it doesn't land perfectly for abraham and so something else has to be happening here and the thing that's happening is it is his faith that is reckoned to him as righteous
1: so then maybe we can look at our own faith journey and you know even if it is to use your word gloriously imperfect right Right. if our own journey is gloriously imperfect if you are reaching that middle age and we're pushing 40. I like to use that term around uh-huh. your trade now uh-huh. because I like worked it into the what, piece. I know. I like to make it, make you uncomfortable with that. Yeah. But, but even if we aren't where we expected we were going to be at this point in our lives, if things aren't going our way, if it's, if life doesn't look like what you thought it was going to, if your faith journey doesn't look like you thought it was going to, that maybe it's okay. Um, because again, even Abraham's was. Even Noah's, even all of the other people that we've listed in scripture had these journeys that were complicated and difficult and not perfect.
0: But then also for Abraham, he the thing that is, you know, the thing I'm drawing out that is his the, the place where he is an exemplar to me. And I and I'm not sure I had this perspective on Abraham um at an earlier period of my life is that he never – right, is the kind of piece of the piece. He never lo- loses that belief in the impossible. Right. You You know, we – glance over and you know I, I made a joke in the sermon because we have some folks who are in their 90s um who are are, are listening to, to this sermon right and listening to this text and it, you know I I had to, I made a joke that it's the official, it is not the official stance of servants of Christ that being near a hundred is nearly dead right that is Paul's perspective <laughs> uh, I am merely offering it to you as Paul's words I am not those words I am not echoing because okay, we, we have you know folks who are uh, are abraham's peers, right yes. are you know yes, yes. um and so i i don't i anyways i but like we i i in my experience with the abraham text often that is glanced over because mm-hmm. we want to get you know we, we kind of rush to the to the eyes you know we want to really rush isaac because everything between here and isaac is gloriously complicated
1: messy yes messy. very messy
0: but we're talking about what he's told is impossible. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely impossible. It cannot happen in the physical universe we occupy. It cannot be done. To steal a word, steal a phrase from Ocean's Twelve, right? Like it just it cannot happen, mm-hmm. and yet it does. But yes. he believes in it, even when he has very little evidence as to its actual possibility. And so Mm -hmm. I, I just, that is the, like, the thing about, the thing that disturbs me about this, like, this not settling in the, there there are comfortable aspects to settling of just, like, you know, you're comfortable in yourself, you're, you know, you don't have to, you know try so hard to be something you're not right like that is an right, aspect of
1: others or right. whatever else yes and i think <laughs> that
0: is a part of the psychology of middle of encroaching middle age that is profoundly healthy right that it, you know in this like you know 30s and 40s transition you see a lot of folks kind of reflecting on youth culture as maybe not negative, we, we don't want to, like, dunk on the kids these days, but a lot of it can seem really try-hard, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just generationally true. The, the problem becomes when then you judge the kids for being like that, and it's just like, shut up. Just, yeah. what are we doing? Like... Right? And, 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 and I, I, that part of it is just probably healthy, right? That we don't have to be so try-hard. We don't have to be, right. you know, so chip on our shoulders so
1: airbrushed show. or right. whatever yeah
0: or, yeah or so chip on your shoulder you know self-justifying right we don't mm-hmm. put filters on that we have 4k cameras we don't put filters on this show right like right. it's fine like and that part of it that's healthy that's just that's just maturing it is i you know there are these i, I won't name them they're these tech podcasters that i listen to i listen to very few religious podcasts i make a religious podcast i don't listen to religious podcasts <laughs> uh it's so much of a terrible religious podcaster because i don't listen to right so there's these tech podcasters and they are both these guys are like 10 years older than me and, and so they are like 40s into 50s not 30s into 40s but they're like talking about like i don't know again these are the, these are gen xer guys um, and they're like, I don't know if we're going to see that in our lifetime. And I'm like, dude, your life is at work, you know, barring major medical, your life is like two thirds over chill out. Maybe two like, thirds over. Right. Maybe right, two thirds. Right. Could be half over. Right. Like half, ch- like, it's just like, I, you know, uh, you know, it, you know, it's it's like how many cans of fish do I have on hand, and like, oh, I never leave my house because what am I gonna do out there? And I'm like, oh my God, there's a world outside your apartment. There's a there's a whole <laughs> world out there. Maybe um,
1: go start living.
0: Sorry, speaking yeah. of the world out there, I have the KO yeah. a... Amber alert. Um, yep. So I, that is that's the thing I re- of the like encroaching middle because. I, I understand, you know, I, when I, you know, many years ago I had, um, a member of my congregation who was 102, you know what, that woman was really sad, um, Mm -hmm. because she'd outlived everyone, and, and and like, she had some real, like, tragedy in her life, and so there wasn't even like a younger generation behind her, she'd outlived them too, and it just, she'd lived a, a good life. But like at the age of 102, she was profoundly sad. And you know, mm. I I I get that. But mm-hmm. she was hundred and two. Right. At forty-seven. And not right. <laughs> at forty seven. But but Abraham's like hundred and two. And hasn't. But like at forty-seven. I really think, and, you know, maybe ask me again in 10 years when I am, when (laughs) I am pushing, when you are definitely pushing 50 and I will almost be. Um, Ask me again in 10 years and and maybe I'll have a whole different, you know, maybe, maybe I will look back on this piece once again as, you know, the young man's ignorance. But I, I see in Abraham that there is always, there is always more to life in God than you think there is. And right. that's that, the hope.
1: That perpetual youthful hope that there is always more, that God is still working right. in spite of our circumstances, whatever those circumstances may be, whether that be that you are over a hundred and so is your wife or whatever else may be happening in your life.
0: Yeah, that that it like I again, that my body doesn't recover you know, um, the thing that I thought was heartburn last week. No, I pulled a chest muscle installing a television. That remains pulled. Yeah, no, I, that remains pulled. Um, and like, I definitely think that pulled muscles did not take 10 days, a week to 10 days to re- fully recover um, at an earlier period in my life.
1: Except they do now. Except so they do now, right? <laughs>
0: like That, that yeah. is, um, actually, uh, my Lenten discipline this year um, is to uh, speed up my running. That I uh, that I had gotten really comfortable in, you know, I can bang out three and a quarter miles in this amount of time. I don't have to push myself that hard, and you know, any exercise counts. And well, that's not how you live forever. And so I have, you know, in a however week and a half that we've been in Lent, I've dropped two minutes thirty off my mile time because <laughs> oh my I'm because j- I'm just booking it right. Because I'm just like, um, I you know, I was feeling in my body like, no, you can. You can go more, like it's okay. And you know, I've been a little sore than I might have been in an earlier period of my life. But also, I at as you keep reminding me, pushing forty, just dropped two and a half minutes off my mile time in a week and a half. Right.
1: That's crazy.
0: Um, it well, it's because I was getting, I was gotten real lazy. Um, yeah. Right. It yeah. is actually. It's not a testimony to what my body has just achieved. It's a testimony to what my body could have been achieving if I had not. <laughs> settled into the, like, I was born with terrible knees, therefore running is always going to be, a, you know, a very slow affair. And mm-hmm. I felt something in my body that said, no, 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 go for it. And then I did. And then, you know, for a week and a half, like, you know, I, I went from what was a remarkably slow mile, um, but just faster than an earlier period in my life where I did no physical activity at all to dropping two minutes 30 like that it's not always going to be the case i understand but it gets to it is you know it is my like hopeful practice in lent um Mm -hmm. you know i i i've tried the giving up sweets thing i can do it it's fine but it like i i want to do things that are going to add to my practice um of somehow caring for myself Right, I, I've talked before about like taking on a lot, one Lent. The most successful Lent I ever had was the one where I took on like a lot more cooking for Sydney and I, and then that stuck now for six, seven years, um, mm-hmm. and that's made like my marriage like so much better because right. the workload in the evening because I'm always going to be working late. And 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 so I can get really lazy of just like, come home. Well, I got home last. You've been home for hours. And when you have kids, that's not a fair um, yeah. thing. Um, so I had to do things to try to add my practice. And this was about like, a, a hope for my physical form of like, actually, I can be getting more. Um, and like, there is also like psychological benefits of like pushing myself harder, is releasing more of the good brain chemicals that go with it. Anyways, um, yeah. life ain't over, friends.
1: Well, and how many of, in particular, I feel like our field is rife with people who retire and then die. And, die. and I, and I know it's true of every field, but I, it, I feel like it is so much more because if you stop moving, if you stop, Working, if you stop whatever it is that you were doing, that's you. You retire and then you die. Um, but that is not how life is meant to be lived, wow. and that is not how Abraham lived, and that is not the hope I, in which we are meant to live as Christians.
0: And I think that that fact has really informed my own life in a couple of ways. Right, one of it is I use every ounce of my vacation time, every yes. ounce of it. I, I there was a, a person I'm connected to in 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 my extended family, that was like, yeah, I never took you know, retired after you know forty years. I never took a single vacation day, and and this was like a, a not so humble brag of like I did it. I gave it all, and I'm sitting here going again like I work for Jesus, right? And I in, work
1: generations before us. Yeah. That was a brag, right? I never took a sick day. I never took a vacation day. That's one thing about this next generation coming up. You know, Gen Z is behind us and Gen Alpha after them. They see that value in vacation days. Well, they take their time off.
0: I think it is. like When we watch the piece about the villages, yes. right, that, you know, one of the things is, well, they're finally getting to have fun, but a lot of, like, people are dying around them all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and it is that, like, you get, what is it is that you suffer for 40 years to get a couple of good years um i so part of part of that you know i this happened to my mentor right my my mentor pastor jim foster um i love him dearly and and his wasn't he held still he got cancer right mm-hmm. but like he had all of these grand retirement plans and he died within a year of retiring mm-hmm. And it, and it wasn't even, you know, any th- any fault of his. It was just like he got cancer, right? And and so, I th- some of this is like, hey, have purpose at any stage, and yes. also, uh, live life. Yes. Live life.
1: Live life. There is more to life, friends.
0: <laughs> there is. You should live your life. It is. Yes. It's an amazing world out there. You should live in it. There's a world outside your apartment. Even when you're 47, <laughs> your hobby does not have to be counting your cans of canned fish. <laughs> a literal podcast topic was like, like how he would gotten a good deal on sardines. And I'm just like, I just stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> but when they're not talking about canned fish, they do have an interesting perspective on technology. But like, I, I just like, oh my God. There is this ama- God's amazing world out there, and God's amazing purpose for all of us at any stage.
1: Right, and that that purpose doesn't end when you become, you know, middle aged or whatever the case. Or whatever, in, in Abraham's or a case, a hundred. This or is a, a hundred.
0: This is a fairly, actually, extremely by the times, extremely well off, one hundred year old man. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's let's think about the Abraham story in light of the fact that he is a hundred. Um, he gets his, he has he has made it. He has the flocks and the servants and whatever, but he has no child. Uh, and so, uh, what's Eleazar of Damascus, uh, who I'd love to meet? Uh, we do not hear enough from Eleazar of Damascus. From
1: Eleazar, right? Uh, a great name a too. Great Eleazar. name too.
0: Eleazar of Damascus. But beyond the lack of a kid, like he's his life is perfect. And so mm-hmm. he could settle into a mildly disappointing, but for the time, extremely comfortable old age. As very comfortable. A and I had to look up the term um, of what you are when you're a hundred, right? A centenarian, right? Like he um he had it made. And God says, Okay, you're gonna uh, be the father of many nations. Um, also by the way uh cast away all of your comfort um and hit the road uh to mm-hmm. an even better land uh to a land of milk and honey to a land that is going to be even more glorious but you know your life for the time fairly comfortable it's all probably fine for you uh throw that all away hit the road let's go live yeah. in discomfort um on this promise that sounds impossible a, you can be father of many nations. B, that your life is going to be even better than it is now, even though, from Abraham's perspective, I'm willing to bet, his life was pretty darn good. Again, he, as far as we can tell, based on the record of what he's got, he's one of the wealthier dudes out there.
1: <laughs> so maybe this should also be a cautionary tale about staying in your comfort zone. Yes. Right? Like if life did turn out the way that you wanted it to, if life did, you know, cruise along the way that you expected it to, maybe you should, again, push yourself to do, you know, to cut time off of your mile or push yourself to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe you should see what it is that God's actually calling you to live into. um, Because it might be kind of uncomfortable and it might be a little bit scary and it might be new and different, but it's, I guarantee you, better than where you are. Right. Because the best place that you can be is inside the will of God. Right?
0: You should really listen to our episode on the villages or watch that documentary <laughs> in the villages because yes. the villages terrify me. Um. So if you're not going to take the hour <laughs> to watch or whatever, it was 35 minutes to watch that. the villages and you're not familiar um, with the Orlando area. The villages is this like massive, um, Retiree pleasure dome, right? Like, right. It's
1: like an amusement park for retirees. Right. You, that's, but
0: you live there. Um, golf
1: and guns and you know,
0: fishing and belly dancing. Belly for dancing retirees and, and 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 whatever your interest is, right? It is this retirement community. But that's not mm-hmm. even. It is you know bigger than some major metros, right? Like it's this right. massive retirement entity pleasure dome, um, and it is not like you know it is not the like you know roll your eyes at generational differences like they're just not interested in the things i'm interested in and and yeah. that is funny but not that scary right like i i'm i'm not a i'm not a golfist right i'm just not i'm <laughs> not, not a
1: belly dancer i'm not a belly dancer yeah. no
0: god no, no. I'm, I'm not <laughs> i I'm neither that good looking nor that coordinated I, but so let's take the what the the actual activities out of it for a second. It is a a life purely lived for pleasure mm-hmm. that you have, and a lot of this philosophy is I've put in my time, and now I'm just going to live for fun. And I think that I think both of those pieces terrify me. That like putting your time and didn't enjoy your life as it was happening. That, right. I you know that is certainly antithetical to a millennial and younger mindset mm-hmm. um or maybe extra and younger mindset, and then also yeah. that now I will live now is the time where I can live purposeless and only for pleasure, and that's the other bit where I go ah I'm really glad Abraham didn't do that right, definitely I'm shockingly glad and and again like it's this idea of living for purpose doesn't have to has doesn't it's not actually have to mean you have to like pack up and you know leave Move and, to the promised
1: land yeah to the promised land yeah yeah
0: but it is you know I I I think about the happiest old people I know and the saddest funerals I've ever done mm-hmm. and the difference it often is someone had continued purpose. That continued purpose, by the way, can be as mundane and beautiful as continuing to live for your family. Yes, like that. That, that it, this does not have to be. Although I, I love these stories too, of like the people in retirement who take on you know the like major charitable work that they just never had right. time for. Um, or you know, I tease my dad about hit. Well, I use the swear word, but his uh, messed up retirement hobby of electric cars, right? Like, I, it, but it doesn't. It, it can be as simple as uh, simple, but but beautiful, right? Of right. Um. I have an important role in this family, or it can be whatever, but like that at every stage of life, because of the power of God, there can be joy and purpose and together, trans- and, together and transformation. Yes. That like, even at the age of a hundred, where you are is not where you have to end up.
1: Right. That God's not done with you.
0: At any, at any stage.
1: At any stage.
0: And also, the, the other, like, this, you know, this is still a text about justification. The first part of that is true. That mm-hmm. whatever your start point does not have to be your end point. Yes. Right? That because this is reckoned to us as righteous and not we are innately righteous, then your amount of unrighteousness is irrelevant to God's grace. Yeah. Right. This is, this is the this is still the core of it. Of we, Abraham, you, me, all of us, not necessarily particularly righteous. We're right. trying to be more. We're striving with God, right? But like at the starting point, that doesn't matter, because right. this is about a gift of grace, not mm-hmm. just about be are you righteous or are you not righteous.
1: Yes, and so. Trey, you had to answer an interesting question at your ordination about this topic, um, the historical yeah. question about Christian perfection. Yes. Do you expect yeah. to, re- to right. reach
0: so, Christian perfection yeah. in so this, this is, lifetime? This so. is, mm-hmm. Do I expect to reach Christian perfection in this lifetime? I yeah. my, I had to say, yeah, because this is you not. You have to
1: say yes. This yes. is not.
0: They do this to you. It, 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 this is the most. There's a lot of strange Methodist ordination process you and I both know long very strange and it's very strange. this is actually to me the strangest question in all of it. So John Wesley had <laughs> has the had the Wesleyan theology has a, has at its core that Christian perfection is possible after a long journey of sanctification. Um, right. It's not that you are justified and then immediately perfect right you are yeah. justified you have a long journey of sanctification and you can crest that hill and get to that place where you sin no more in this lifetime. Um, And it it can be really hard to wrestle with, but Wesley makes a decent case. (laughs) Um, But the ordination question isn't, do you believe in the concept of Christian perfection? To which I go, yeah. I, you know, I've known some people who I really think got there. Uh, actually, I know mm-hmm. one person in my life uh, who I think got there in their inner 20s and just, you know, um, as far as I could tell, was Christianly perfect. And, I, you know, I went to college with her and she was pretty Christianly perfect by the time I met her. Uh, for some folks, sanctification doesn't take a long time. For me, it's, it's still a work in progress. Um, she she once called uh, a politician a rude name, and I was shocked. I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I was clutching my pearls. Um, she used a rude word. Um, but you have to stand in front of, for in my case, like a couple thousand people, and they ask you as a group, do you intend, will you, wh- not like do you hope to, will you create, re- reach Christian perfection in this lifetime? To which I want to say, I mean, I certainly hope so.
1: I hope so, but But yes.
0: It seems really Uh, presumptuous to say that I'm going to get there.
1: It does. But even looking at this, looking at the idea and the concept of Christian perfection, even once one has reached Christian perfection, I think even at that point, because when you pair it with this idea of purpose, um, that God's still not done with you, right? That even when you reach this righteousness, this right relationship with God— You're still not done. God's not finished with you yet. That doesn't mean you can, you know, hurry up and die now because God's finished with you and you've reached this Christian perfection state. Well, but
0: that's one of those like, would, these are like the, like the, then the abstract thought experiments for my brain spirals of like, would a person that was Christianly perfect say that they are Christianly perfect? Right, or
1: is that then the sin of pride?
0: Right, so this is an actual question I asked in Wesleyan theology uh, with Rex Matthews. God bless (laughs) Professor Matthews uh, dealing with me sitting there in Wesleyan theology, you know, you know, getting, you know, my classic distracted look just really stuck on, really stuck on Christian perfection. Not that I think Wesley is wrong, but... trying to unpack like, but what does it mean, man? And (laughs) specifically, I I, I, I contend actually that a person who has reached Christian perfection would not say that they'd reach Christian perfection because that itself is prideful. Right. They'll just... You know, go, oh, you know, they all sound like they're from Minnesota, I think. Oh, you know, I, you know, I have got my struggles. And and, 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 and then move on, right? Because they would not boast, right. yes, I no longer sin. Look at me and my unsinfulness. Right? This is where, right. you know, um, everyone should really question. This is one of the ways that you should question your cult leader. If, like, if your cult leader walks in a room and says, I am perfect, uh-huh. Real bad sign. Also, when they say yeah. they're Jesus, also a really bad sign. Also, but, yes. Yeah. But like, because I really think a person from Minnesota uh, who has reached Christian perfection would just laugh at, oh, you know, it's a, I can struggle sometimes too. Right? Like, <laughs> and it's, and, and, and because they won't make you feel weird about it. Because making you feel right. weird about it would, would be a little sinful. Right. Right. <laughs> that, it, you know. Anyways, the this all culminates in God's grace is amazing. God's grace mm-hmm. is free. God's grace is never done with you. That even if you look at your own unrighteous state, A, doesn't matter because you just get counted as righteous by the grace of God. You put your faith in Christ and you're counted as righteous even though you were the same jerk you were five minutes ago. Like my friend mm-hmm. who got saved every summer and then never changed. Um and then it opens up this long and glorious journey where God is never done with you. And part mm-hmm. of what we are to do is have that faith in the impossible that things can always be better. If you have your own stories of—actually, the thing I would love the most is, do you know someone who you think is Christianly perfect? Please describe them. I, like, Please do. I would love to hear stories of the modern saints. Um, email us thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. That is thegodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. This show and everything else we do here uh in the media lab is made possible by a generous innovators grant, the text annual conference of the United Methodist Church. If you would like to help us too, uh, like, comment, subscribe, share, leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Like all of that helps. Get this thing out there more um, and helps make this whole show uh, more sustainable. If you are interested in other things that we do, like if you want to hear uh, a weekly worship service uh, from Servants of Christ, uh, you can go to uh, facebook.com servantsnow. If you want just about everything we do other than the music side of worship, uh, youtube.com slash servantsnow. Uh, and our website gets a ton of it too, um, servantsnow.org. Also go in peace to love and serve the Lord.